Uh, we welcome you guys that are joining us uh, via YouTube and those that are going to uh, listen to the podcast or watch the podcast. And we're here on Wednesday night. We're studying 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And uh, chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. So what I want to do, uh, I want to pray for our time this evening. And then I want to go back and I want to read through where we've been. I'm not going to teach on that. Uh, if you go to the YouTube channel, uh, you can see that there is a playlist called uh, Spiritual Gifts. There's also a playlist called First Corinthians. So you could uh, tap into one of those playlists and get all three of these lessons on spiritual gifts. And of course, that's for you guys that are here as well. If you go to our YouTube channel, easiest way to find it is go to lifewellchurch.com. And then you'll see a bunch of different videos just right there on the front page. And you know how when the video is embedded on uh, a different page, it'll say, hey, watch on YouTube. Click that, go over to YouTube, and then click subscribe, and you'll get all of our stuff. So, And for those of you that are watching on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also get uh, the podcast through Spotify or Apple or whatever source you use for podcasting. Okay, uh, If you get it through Spotify, uh, you will also get the, uh, the video as well. All right. So let's pray together and then let's jump into this word. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to teach your word. Uh, so unworthy to, to come and do this. Uh, your word is so high. It is so far beyond us. Um, and yet it is uh, your means of reaching down and touching us and, and redirecting our lives, helping us to understand what you think. It's your word. So it is your thought made manifest. And so I pray that we'll, we'll pay attention. We'll listen to you and we'll do what you say and pray in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So um, the, you'll see the text. Uh, the English Standard Version over here on the screen, or those of you that are watching, uh, you'll see it come up right over here beside me. And uh, Elijah, I'm going to jump back up to verse one, and I'll read through verse eleven, and then we're just gonna we're just gonna look at uh, one verse tonight. But it's a very controversial topic, and uh, I decided to take an entire uh, session and um, address it. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions each to each individually as he wills, that is, as the Holy Spirit wills. So we looked at different categories of gifts, gifts that sort of uh, wrap themselves around the, the personality of the individual, and that is something that they express, it, it seems naturally, because they have been reborn. When you come to know Christ, uh, Jesus said, unless you're born again, 
you don't know your way. You, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. And so you need to be reborn. What happens is your spirit is essentially dormant and the Holy Spirit comes in and enlivens your spirit and gives you a new birth. And when he does that, then he brings the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That becomes a part of your nature. And then he brings these gifts. So there are the so-called, I, I would just call them personality gifts. And you can see those in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 5. What we see here are manifestations of the Spirit. Now, these are gifts, but they're not gifts that you just operate yourself, right? A personality gift is what drives you. It's what motivates you. These gifts occur um, as, as demonstration of the fact that the Holy Spirit is present. And they're necessary for the upbuilding of the body of Christ, and that's us. So we are given these manifestations when they're needed. I heard a, uh, I've heard many preachers say this, actually. Um, the, the phrase is, God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those who are called, right? So um, when God calls you to do something, you may feel utterly incapable of doing that. In fact, if you feel very capable, uh, then there is a tendency to just grab the reins yourself and do it yourself rather than relying on the Lord. Uh, I use the example of Moses. Uh, When Moses was on the backside of the desert for 40 years, he saw God and heard God in the burning bush. And God said, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to your people to deliver them from slavery. And Moses said, I don't don't know how to speak, Lord. can 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 you just send somebody else? And the Lord actually got pretty peeved at Moses because he'd been preparing Moses for this job for 80 years, right? He raised him up in Pharaoh's court because, you know, a Jew couldn't just walk into Pharaoh's court and start addressing Pharaoh. That's not going to happen. But see, Moses grew up with this Pharaoh, Ramses, when they were both kids, right? And then Moses goes away to the backside of the desert. When he comes back, then the, you know, his, his fellow that he grew up with in Pharaoh's court uh, is now Pharaoh. And so, he can walk right into the court and talk to him. And this guy's going to talk to him. You know, God raised Moses for this job. But um, another way of, of saying the phrase that I just spoke is God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So you need to understand that when you come to Christ, there is a call placed on your life. And that calling is going to be exercised in a variety of different ways, perhaps over your your lifespan. Um, But you have that calling upon your life. And fundamentally, the first call is to become more like Jesus and to make disciples, right? So that's why my friend brought my friend tonight. We want to make disciples, not make you, force you to be disciples, right? But present you to Christ so that he can form you and mold you and shape you into his image. When we're in the community of faith and we're trying to help one another out, um, these gifts that are mentioned here are manifested. They're demonstrated. They occur. And some of them occur more frequently in certain people with other gifts because they require those. So, for instance, somebody with the gift of prophecy, right? Now, we often, often think of prophecy as foretelling the future. But prophecy is just speaking the word of God. It's sensing what God is saying, it's understanding his Bible, and it is speaking that word to help people to know what they need to do. 
What do we need to do? We all think we know, but we need direction from the Lord. And that's what a prophet does, gives direction from the Lord. And a prophet is primarily concerned about injustice and wrong and righting the wrong and bringing people to uh, the saving relationship with Christ that will forgive them of their wrongdoing. Well, when a prophet is exercising that gift of prophecy, she or he needs other manifestations of the Spirit in order for that to work. So uh, here, one of the manifestations of the Spirit is um, the distinguishing of spirits or the discerning of spirits. I think that that is a manifestation that is often accompanied uh, in the life of a prophet because there are those who are speaking and they're saying that God told them, right? You ever heard somebody say that? God told me, right? Well, how do you know, right? How, 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 do, how do we know that wasn't just, you know, some spicy Italian food or something? We don't, we don't know, okay? But this manifestation of distinguishing of spirits enables prophets who are in the room to discern whether that is a word from God or whether that is from the person's flesh, their, their natural self, or whether it's even demonically inspired. That's even a possibility, right? So distinguishing of spirits, determining whether this is of God or whether this is not of God, that's often. A prophet needs faith, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul says later, chapter 14, that the prophet exercises her or his gift in accordance with their faith, right? There needs to be that sense of assurance and confidence. That's what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. That's faith. And that comes from the Lord. That assurance comes down from the Lord. I don't work faith up. Oh, I got to try. I got to try. That faith is offered to me and I receive it. And suddenly I'm assured and suddenly I'm confident and I'm trusting and I look around me and there doesn't seem to, to, to be uh, reasons for that in circumstantial life, right? In the situation that's around us. But I have that faith. So I told everybody all along, all through uh, the COVID-19 disaster, which we're, we're at the end of. I still see a million people wearing face masks. And OK, that's fine. It just depends on what news service you pay attention to as to whether you're going to be walking around with a face diaper on or not. But um all during that time, I said, I'm not getting this. I just had that assurance. I'm not getting this. Now, that doesn't mean I wasn't careful. You can be presumptuous. That's not faith. Oh, it's not even real. I'm not going to get that. That's not faith. That's presumption. There are people who have died because they didn't think it was real. They didn't care. They didn't take care of themselves. And then they caught it. And then they couldn't breathe. And then, yeah, that was the end. Okay. Um, but I just... My circumstances are such that I really would not be able to properly isolate myself from people. And so I just knew the Lord's not going to give this to me. He's not going to let this happen to me because that's just not going to be my cross. Now I have other things that I get sick. And, you know, so I'm not one of these, you know, walk on water types of Pentecostal folk where, you know, I'm not ever going to get sick and da, da, da. No, you, you, you know, I think you need to have faith and you need to trust the Lord. But nonetheless, I didn't. Right. I had a, I had a cough for a couple of weeks. I never went and got tested. But, you know, everybody just got tested at the drop of a hat. It's a cough, a cold, sinus infection, whatever. OK. Didn't get it. Got the vaccination anyway, because I wanted the people on our church who needed to get vaccinated to feel confident getting vaccinated because there's all kinds of drama out there about that. I'm trying to help you understand how this assurance, this confidence from God can operate. 
and how you can walk in that and how you can be free of fear. I haven't been afraid of COVID-19 from day one. Right. I prayed for and fasted for 23 days when the thing first lit off because they were making it seem like it was the end of the world. and We're all going to die at any moment. Right. I mean, COVID Clay Jenkins shut the entire city of our entire, entire Dallas County down when there were 16 cases, shut the whole county down, told everybody that unless you had a job that they considered to be essential, you had to stay home and stay inside your house. And if you got outside your house, the fine was $1,500 or six months in jail. Are we out of our minds right now? Right. This is the kind of fear that was. I don't know if you remember this it was two years ago, right here in Dallas County. Right. I'm saying all that not to heap abuse on people or whatever, but to say, I've never been afraid of this thing at all. Okay. I've worn my face mask when I needed to primarily so other people will feel confident and not scared. Right. But you can walk through life like this, but a prophet needs that manifestation of faith on a regular basis to know when to speak. Should I say this? I believe the Lord is giving me this word, right? This says utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom. It's literally word of knowledge, word of wisdom, but it says utterance because it's going to be spoken, right? It's going to be a spoken word. Um, so it's a spoken, let's change it to message, message of wisdom, message of knowledge. So I, I received that message from the Lord, but does that mean it's the time to say it right now? That's when I need wisdom, right? So, and I need faith and it might be scary. It might put me at risk. There are plenty of people who are uh, celebrities or athletes or, you know, they're in positions where people can get offended if they speak the word of God. And they're taking a risk and they've got to know, hey, this is what the Lord wants me to do. So this is what I'm going to do, uh, whatever the consequences may be. OK, so with that in mind, understand these are manifestations of the spirit that may go along with other gifts or gifts are also offices in the church. So I'm the pastor teacher here. That's a gift. That's a gift to you. Right. That's a gift to those that are a part of this community of faith. And that's what I was called to do. And so I exercise the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching. Again, prophecy is just preaching, okay? Um, I'm not trying to, you know, build myself up or something like that. Yeah, I'm a prophet and I just know the future and all that. No, it's preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God. And that's what I'm called to do. So I need equipment to do that. I need the capability to do that. Um, but these manifestations need to happen as well if that's going to occur, okay? So, um, to go through those manifestations again, he says, um, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits or discerning of spirits and speaking tongues, various kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one as he wills. I can ask, but he is the one who decides, right? So, you know, if you, you want one of these gifts uh, to be able to say, you say healing, well, I need healing. Okay, well, then you pray for that. And scripture says pray for that. But the gift here that's called healing is a gift that God gives to someone to pray for someone else and or anoint someone else to bring healing into their lives. All right. But what I want to focus on tonight um, is a controversial gift called the gift of tongues, right? Uh, the word is just the word for tongue. And it's a word that is, can be translated language, right? 
Um, this has this gift has both empowered people and it has split churches. Tongues is dealt with uh, at great length, really, or at least more length. This is just mentioned or introduced here, but it's dealt with at length in chapter 14. So we have 12 where we're at right now. And then we're going to have the love chapter. That's the greatest gift, right? Love. And then 14 is where we're going to talk about order in the church. But I wanted to just go ahead and address tongues tonight um, because there's so much interest in this. And uh, I've thought about it for uh, quite some time. Um, so here are some questions. And th- these are questions that I want to answer. So I'm going to go through these questions slowly. I want you to hear the question and kind of see if it, you know, piques your interest in any. And then we're going to go through and answer these questions. Um, does tongues still exist today? Is tongue speaking speaking in a known language? Is it speaking in a heavenly or angelic language? What is the purpose of tongues? Does the speaker control the gift? What is the place of tongues in a public worship service? And again, that's dealt with extensively in chapter 14. Does God want every believer to have this gift? Does God want you to have this gift? So I don't know how you know long your attention span is. And those of you that listen to the podcast, whether you'll pause it and listen and go back to it uh, but uh, here, I'm just going to give you my take very quickly in five statements, right? Um, the tongues gift continues to exist today. And this is what I believe. We're going to look at what other f- folks say in just a minute and answer these questions. Yes, I believe this gift continues to exist today. I don't think that everybody speaking in tongues in a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church is just faking it, all right? Don't believe that. Number two, tongues or languages is supernaturally speaking a language unknown to the speaker. I don't need to speak in tongues to speak English, right? Um, And number three, it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, not something the speaker practices on their own. So you're not just coming up with your own gibberish language. And there are folks that I guess are just kind of pressured into speaking in tongues and they'll just say some of the same gibberish phrases over and over again. Um, When I was a kid, uh, my mom and I had our own gibberish language. Maybe you had a brother or something like that. I've I've heard twins, you know, before they can even talk, will talk to each other with their own little language. My mom and I just had these these funny words that we would say. And uh, yeah, that's not tongues. Okay. Number four, interpretation of tongues is the supernatural Holy Spirit manifestation permitting someone to understand the unknown language. Someone speaks in tongues. You know, you're not going to know what that is unless you're given this gift of interpretation. It's a separate gift. It's a related gift, but it's a separate gift. And again, it's a manifestation of the spirit. And uh, this gift, tongues, is something that I have experienced. Never interpretation, but at time, tongues, uh, beginning in 2001. So let's look at what others say. Concerning whether the gift still exists today. There is an entire group of people that are collectively referred to as cessationists. The thing about the word cessation, it means to stop. They believe that these gifts that are spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12 stopped in the first century. 
John MacArthur, for example, uses 1 Corinthians 13 to prove his point. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So this verse does say that prophecy will become obsolete. It also teaches that the gift of tongues will cease, even that knowledge will pass away. But do we believe that knowledge has passed away? The knowledge of God has passed away, right? So MacArthur stops there and teaches that this has already taken place. Since Jesus is the final revelation of God to man, and since Jesus is revealed clearly in the inerrant, that means without error, Bible, we don't need prophecy or new, or new knowledge, he contends. This is MacArthur's teaching. Well, I would agree that the canon is closed. That means the inspired word of God is closed. It concluded with Jesus. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't still have something to say. Primarily, what we are dealing with is the application of the revealed word of God. Okay, um, There is a group of people called... Uh, reformed cessationists that assert that the Holy Spirit illumines the mind of believers as they read the scripture. Well, that's what I would say is going on, right? If I receive a word from the Lord, I always need to check it against the the word of God. I always need to check it against the Bible because I can be wrong. And, you know, I can push my viewpoint so strongly that it may seem very convincing but I need to line it up with the word of God. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. Um, here's a, I think a, a, a good comment from the faith life study Bible due to its association with speech. The word tongue has metaphorically come to indicate language or speech in numerous languages, including Hebrew and in Greek in discussions of spiritual gifts. The argument is often made that glossa, that's the Greek word for tongue, only refers to real human languages that are known, that are unknown to the speaker. So this is what uh, more conservative, I would say, interpreters, uh, interpreters that are not Pentecostal or charismatic would hold that when tongues were spoken, they were always known languages, right? So they would go back to Acts chapter two when that gift first manifested itself, when the the, the tongues of fire appeared over the heads of the 120 uh, disciples who were being empowered by the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. And they began speaking the, the, the praises of God. And that, those praises were understood by all of these different people from all of these different parts of the world. So what these folks would contend is this would be like, okay, uh, Mary is bilingual. She speaks Spanish and she speaks English. Um, I can speak a few words in French, for example. Um, I could get one of you. Maybe you have some other you know, language that you're familiar with. And we, if we all said praise the Lord in our language, right, it would sound kind of like, I don't know, you know, water moving, right, sort of thing. And so these guys would contend that that miracle in Acts chapter 2 was all about all of these different disciples speaking the word of God, these, these praises in these known languages that just happen to be languages that they didn't personally know. Now, that's possible, but I don't think that the context holds that entirely. So let's continue to listen to what the Faith Life Study Bible says. Um it says uh, these uh, 
believe that uh, glossa only refers to real human languages that are unknown to the speaker. And thus, according to this argument, those Christians who engage in ecstatic utterances, what does it mean, ecstatic? That means that's a language that nobody on earth knows, right? Or at least, you know, perhaps it's a, an ancient version of a language or something, but it's it's something that is manifesting itself in them and they don't know what what that is at all. And it's not like I'm just speaking fluent French, even though I don't speak French, Okay. It is a completely unknown language, an angelic language, right? A heavenly language, perhaps. Um, So according to this argument, those Christians who engage in these ecstatic utterances misrepresent the gift. Now, unfortunately, there are some very uh, godly Christian teachers that would hold this position. That basically, if you're speaking in tongues and it's an ecstatic utterance, you're just wrong. That's not the Holy Spirit, period. That's what they would say, okay? Um, You've already heard me say that I don't believe that. Um, However, the Faith Life Study Bible continues, the Greek usage also applies to the ecstatic speech of practitioners of Hellenistic mystery religions and angelic languages. In fact, New Testament examples also suggest the phrase speaking in tongues could refer to unintelligible ecstatic utterance. And Faith Life Study Bible gives uh, 1 Corinthians 14.5 and Acts 19.6 as examples. Paul also speaks of the tongues of angels, and that is in 1 Corinthians 13.1, okay? So, there you have these, these two groups of people, and this is, this is what they think. I've already come down uh, on that point. Number two, question two, is tongue speaking in an unknown language? So, once again, There are commentators who come down on both sides of the issue here. Typically, those who subscribe to this cessationist view, it stopped view, um, that the gift of tongues was for the first generations of Christian only, will hold that it was the ability to speak in a known human language, which the speaker had not learned. These interpreters point to Acts 2, and I've already talked about that. Um, The Apostle Paul speaks of the gift of interpretation in our current passage. So, Why do you need the gift of interpretation if somebody is speaking in your language? And why would tongues need to be spoken at all in a context where you're simply speaking in a language you don't know, but this person knows the language and they're like, oh, well, that's wonderful. That's awesome. Right. I I just I don't think that we we've got that absolutely correct if we're assuming that, uh, you know, for instance, I don't know how to speak Japanese, but I suddenly start speaking Japanese. Now, I'm not saying that that couldn't become a miraculous exercise in tongues, I suppose. Um, And then there wouldn't need to be the gift of interpretation. But in chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says, no, if somebody stands up in church, assuming you're at a church where they're allowed to stand up and speak, okay, um, and they speak in tongues, he said, the Apostle Paul says this, there has to be an interpreter present. Why would this person stand up in a congregation where everybody speaks a certain language, speaking in a language that nobody knows? Why would that have to happen? See, I just, I, I don't think that we, we uh, have a hold of this entirely um, if we think that this is only a known language. Is tongues a heavenly or angelic language? Well, here we go. I believe that tongues is typically an unknown language, be it heavenly, angelic, or perhaps ancient, like ancient Hebrew. However, the gift may be any language that is given directly from the Holy Spirit apart from the intellect of the speaker, 
right? So it just bubbles up from my spirit and flows out of my mouth. As such, there may also be times when the gift enables the speaker to pronounce the words of a known language. So I'm not saying, again, that tongues could not manifest as a known language, right? So, you know, somebody could start speaking Farsi, right? Uh, You know, the language that is spoken in the Middle East, and they don't know that language. Now, of course, if there are those present that speak that language and the Lord's purpose was as it was in Acts chapter two, so that they could understand the word of God in their own home language, then, okay, that's, there's not going to need to be an interpreter because the miracle is for them. It's for them to receive the, the word of God. Um, but what we're going to see is oftentimes the purpose of tongues is not that same purpose that it was in Acts chapter two. Okay. Um, it is oftentimes an unknown language that would necessitate interpretation if it's performed or exercised, I should say, in a, a community setting, in a congregation. So question four, um, what is the purpose of tongues? So we'll look at this in more detail when we come to chapter 14, but I'm going to set the stage by stating that tongues is primarily a private prayer language to strengthen the worship of the speaker with the result that they may share with others uh, through a more intimate relationship with Christ. Okay, look at it this way. Have you ever just been tongue-tied? You, you just don't know what to say? You're overwhelmed by emotion? You just don't have the words, right? There are some people that they just have a gift of words, right? But you just... You're, 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 oh, you're overflowing with gratitude or joy or sadness or, you know, who knows what emotion. And you just don't know what to say. Have you ever been in a situation where you just don't know what to pray? You're just before the Lord and you just don't know what to say and you don't know what to pray. I think this is when tongues manifest. Then I know what I feel, but I don't know what to say. And there is just the Holy Spirit works with my spirit. And there is this overflow of language, right? To strengthen the worship uh, of the person that's doing it. So what does the Apostle Paul say? Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign for is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So tongues is a sign to the unbeliever of God's manifest presence. And so the unbeliever, you know, says, okay, wait a second here. Um, What's going on? And I know people that have been in a service, a worship service, you know, uh, we don't have, we have people in our church that have this gift, but they, they don't uh, exercise that gift in, in the community, in the congregation, but there are churches where that happens. And you might've been to one. Okay. Where they're just all, yeah, they're all just moving and grooving. And, and, you know, I'm not going to pretend, right. I don't want to fake it. And make make light of it, right? And so some of them, it may be real. Some of them, they may be just going along with the crowd. You never, you never know. But uh, that's where distinguishing of spirits is necessary. Because you can be in a room like that and just sense, man, this is just wrong. This feels wrong, okay? But people that are unbelievers can just feel scared. They just want to run out of the room. They don't ever want to come back to that church. This is why tongue splits churches in a lot of uh, situations when tongues are spoken publicly like that. Um, but for believers, there is an, the, an understanding, okay, no, this is, this is a demonstration of the Spirit, right? Next question. 
Does the speaker control the gift? Now, you would get the impression, if you're in some churches, that somebody just begins blurting out with ecstatic speech, right? And I've, you know, I've heard preachers, or maybe you've watched Christian TV or something, and again, I'm not going to fake it, and, I, I, and I'm not going to mock it. But, you know, a preacher will be preaching, and then he'll, he'll have just like a little statement or a little phrase that's, you know, nonsense speech. And it's supposed to be tongues, But, you know, the reality is a lot of times there's just the expectation that if that preacher is operating in the Holy Spirit, then he's going to just, you know, blurt out in tongues. Okay, and I, I don't think that that's the way this works. Manifestations of the Spirit come as the result of the Holy Spirit impressing the person. I can't just turn it on and turn it off. Right. Now, I said that I've experienced this. You can talk to other people that have experienced this and they can give you their personal experience. But. From my exposure to the Word of God and my experience, um, what I would say is that there is an overflow of the Spirit, and then it's like the back of my throat just begins to move. I'm a very rational person. I'm a very logical person. So I have to try not to pay attention. I know that sounds weird. But I, if I sit there and try to analyze, then it's like I turn off the spigot. I turn off the flow. Or as the scripture would say, I quench the spirit because I'm analyzing. I'm like, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I doing this? Is it just emotional? Why am I doing this? What am I doing right now? And so forth. And then it just shuts off. Right. So I have to be in the spirit and I have to be focused on the Lord, not focused on myself and my own speaking. See, this is the problem. I'm going to tell you this. As a preacher, as a teacher, the moment I focus on me, the the moment I focus on, well, did I say that right? Am I getting across to these people? I don't know. Then I lose it, right? Because the focus is taken off the word. The focus is taken off the Lord. You're important, right? You're here because I'm here to teach you. And I'm going to try to, to, you know, deliver that. Those of you that are listening online or that are watching, uh, you're, you're important. But if I focus on, well, is this getting across the way I want it to get across? Uh, you know, uh, how's the stream going up there? I don't know. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried about that. Then I lose it. I lose it altogether. So it's really no different. OK, whether I'm speaking intelligibly in you know, prophecy or teaching or whether I'm speaking in tongues, I can't pay attention to me. You get caught up in what you're saying, right? And the focus is not on the words. The focus is on the target, right, uh, of the words, okay? What is the place of this gift in a public worship service? Once again, we're going to get to this question in more depth in chapter 14. But one of the reasons the apostle spends so much time talking about this is due to its abuse in public settings. And we see this today. And again, you may have been to a church where it's like, People just want to start kind of showing off with this sort of thing. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to keep the Corinthians from doing in chapter 14. Um, If this happens in a worship service where people are permitted to share, the Apostle Paul says there has to be an interpreter present or the person needs to sit down. Now, I've been involved with other preachers who have churches where people will kind of randomly get up and share and speak and whatever. And if we had a different sort of 
Uh, this is basically here in the room, a small group Bible study. The only reason that I'm conducting it the way I am is so that we can get it out there to those of you guys that are watching it online and through the podcast. But in a small group setting, um, there could be people that just, you know, share. And if someone just started speaking in tongues, well, then everybody in the room goes, okay, what was that about? But if somebody else interprets and there are those in the room that are filled with the spirit and they have that gift of distinguishing between spirits, then we're going to know whether this is fake, whether this is real and whether this is the Holy Spirit moving in this situation or not. But typically tongues are not to be exercised in a large group setting. It could happen in a small group setting. But again, I really believe that the function of tongues, unlike the function of the majority of these gifts, um, is primarily for the purpose of building up the individual worshiper so that she or he has a, a stronger, closer relationship with the Lord to share with other people. There's always going to be the sharing with other people, right? Um, but this is, I think, the most private of the gifts. So um, does God give every believer this gift? I just would say no. I'm, uh, when I first became a Christian, I uh, came to faith in a Baptist church, right? Uh, I got in trouble as a teenager and got arrested and got brought home in the back of a police car and uh, just decided, I just, you know, I thought, I, I just don't want to go down this road. And I was getting terrible grades in school and, and my parents were not happy with me. My mom, I said, not happy with me at all. And uh, so I started kind of trying to clean up my act and do better. And in the process of doing this, I see this church on television. Big church broadcasts services. One of the reasons why I really like having our service on YouTube and podcasted and so forth. We're not on big TV, but hey, it's available to you. Um, and as a result of the outreach of that church, I went. I told my mom I wanted to go. She brought me to North Phoenix Baptist Church. That's a Baptist church. Nobody's speaking in tongues there. Nobody's raising their hand there. Okay. And it was relevant. The preacher preached the good news about Jesus coming from the, the, the Bible. You know, um, I mean, the, the thing that really got me saved was the understanding that I couldn't clean up my act on my own. I needed his help. Right. So that hymn they used to sing at the end of every service. And this is back in the day. Right. Uh, you if you listen to an old Billy Graham crusade, you'll listen, go hear this hymn. But it's uh, it's the hymn just as I am. And it's got a refrain in it, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And that just pulled me, man. It's You can't do it yourself. If you could do it yourself, Jesus wouldn't have had to come down and die for your sins. I can't forgive myself. I can't stop sinning. On any given day, I can stop for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but I'm telling you, I'm fighting my flesh every day and I'm a preacher of the gospel, Okay. I'm out there and I see, you know, I see people walking around doing goofy stuff. People cutting me off in traffic. You know, I, I and I have to stop. I say, stop, 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 stop fighting these people. Stop judging these people. Stop doing this. You know, I got to. And that's all sin. See, but I got forgiveness from Jesus. So that church was an incredible blessing to me, taught me the word of God. Um, but I started getting exposed to this gift of tongues because right up the street, there was a charismatic church. And in fact, the church that I got saved in, North Phoenix Baptist Church, built a new building, big building, right? Um, and it was right up the street from their previous building. Well, they sold their previous building to, guess who? A charismatic church called the Valley Cathedral. 
Now, they built their own like building on that same property and it was real cool. I thought it was cool. It was theater in the round. I don't know if you know what that is, right? But the stage would be in the middle and the seats would be all the way around the stage. That's just cool. Now, it can be distracting because people are all looking at each other, right? But I liked it. But I went to uh, I went to a Christian concert at that church and there were some people speaking in tongues during that concert. Now, I'll be honest with you. It didn't freak me out. It intrigued me. I thought they were genuine. I started getting overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that I didn't when I was at my Baptist church. No disrespect to my Baptist church. But there was something going on there that we didn't have. And it was an overflow, a filling of the Spirit, right? And so, you know, I read a book at the time where a fellow talked about uh, receiving that gift and what it did in his life and so forth. So I started praying for that gift. I can remember I could, well, if, they, if they, there's this campus that I'm about to refer to is a school that I started out at Grand Canyon University. It used to be called Grand Canyon College. And out in front, there was like a big grassy area out in front of all the buildings uh, between where the buildings stopped and the main road. And I can remember I could, if it's still there, I could take you to the spot where I sat under a tree and begged God to give me that gift. And he never did. And I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to just speak a bunch of gibberish and say, hey, I got the gift. Never happened. Started this church in 1999. Had a fellow go into this church whose mom and more importantly, whose grandma came up in Assemblies of God. Now, I can't speak for all Assemblies of God, but I know that there are old school Assemblies of God that don't believe you have the Holy Spirit unless you can speak in tongues, right? And these are old school folks, right? And so I'm sitting in my apartment and there's a fellow sitting there that's leading worship with a guitar and we're just singing these songs and it happened. And that was 2001. That was 20 years after I was asking for that gift, right? But see, there was no reason for me to have it before. God gave me this ability to teach, He gave me this ability to preach. I didn't need it. There was no purpose for it. But suddenly, it needed to be there as validation for these folks. So you see, even a gift that's personal like this is still for other people. That's what these gifts are for. So you may not get this gift, but you can ask. You can ask, right? You can, you know, ask the Lord for any of these gifts. And I would encourage you to do that. I really, really would. So the last question is... For you to ask yourself, does God want you to have this gift? You ask yourself, does God want me to have this gift? Well, do you want it? Have you asked? Why do you want it? Are you willing to obey Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because you can't have this gift by itself. It's just not so you can be super spiritual, cool to other people. It is a manifestation of the overflow of the Holy Spirit. So do you want the Holy Spirit to have that much control in your life? But where you're just like, I mean, you're you're flowing. It's it's almost like you take your hand off the wheel and the car just keeps going and steers down the road. You know, it's kind of like a what uh, Tesla's got this full self driving, and they're having all kinds of problems with it trying to figure it out, right? But full self, how cool would that be? Full self driving, right? I, it just makes me want a Tesla just to have it, right? Just so I can say, hey, here's where I want to go, and then I just sit back. Look at this. My car is driving itself to the place, right? 
Are you willing to let go of your life to that degree? See, until you are, you ain't going to get any of these gifts because you got to let go. You got to let go of the wheel, right? Jesus is not your co-pilot. Jesus needs to get in the driver's seat. That's what needs to happen. Now, I'm going to tell you, he doesn't blank out your mind. He doesn't take away your will. That's not the way it works. It's cooperation. Let's go to the Tesla example again. Um, when that full self-driving is in operation, you still have to pay attention to the road, right? You still, in fact, with Teslas, you still, you have to have your hands somewhere near the wheel. All right. And see, I would say that's the way it is. I, I know that's a weird example. I've never used it before because it didn't exist the last time I taught this, but I think that's a good example. You still have to have your eyes open, right? You still have to be ready because the Holy Spirit may decide to say, okay, you go, you. Now I want you. He can give you the gift of interpretation for the tongues you just spoke. It happens. It's possible. Okay. So all that in mind, this is one gift that is a manifestation of the spirit. But I think it's a good way of looking at all of the manifestations of the spirit. It's something that the Lord wants to do in and through you when you just let go and let the Lord. Now, if you doubt, it's not going to happen. You've got to trust the Lord. I'm not saying, you know, I, I, I believe I have it. I believe I have it. I believe I have it. that's not it. No, it's you just completely trust the Lord. As soon as you doubt, you quench the spirit. As soon as you say, well, that's just a bunch of foolishness. That's just a bunch of nonsense. Well, as I said, there are good godly preachers who have made a, a, a life of making fun of charismatics and Pentecostals and saying it's all nonsense. Now, there is a lot of nonsense. There really is. As much as there's a bunch of, you know, frozen chosen believers that wouldn't lift their hand or, you know, praise the Lord out loud or anything like that to save their soul. There are a lot of people that are jumping over pews and dancing around and falling out and all this other stuff. And, you know, it may just be emotional, but that's why you have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have the gift of discernment to know what's going on. And I will tell you, I just, that gift, that manifestation happens consistently with me. There's a, there's a recording. Um, I think I mentioned this last week, but there's a recording of a, a, a uh, an artist. He's a worship artist. And he is singing this song. It's a really, really good song. But all of a sudden, that song goes in a direction where the congregation in this live event is all supposed to be, I guess, you know, crying out to the Lord and speaking in tongues. And suddenly what was very, very normal, very natural, if you will, very honest, becomes very forced, very, ah, we've got to make this happen now. And I think that that's, that's dangerous, right? So, Yes, there are dangers, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay, so for next week, verse 12, just as the body is one and has many members. So all the members of the body, though many are one body. And so it is with Christ. So we're going to talk about the body of Christ next week. All right. So thank you guys for joining. And I hope that this was helpful for you. I would encourage you to read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 and uh, continue to tune in. All right. God bless you.